Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 140 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for tuning in this week and thanks for getting involved with the podcast. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, cast your mind back to episode 137 where I had Monica Mixova on the show. Now, Monica chatted a bit about... New Zealand, living there for a number of years, what the scene was like there, and how New Zealand really helped her fall in love again with mountain biking. So it got me thinking, you know, it got the old brain ticking, and I thought, okay, well, what's the scene like in New Zealand? I know it's awesome for surfing, it's awesome for snowboarding and adventure stuff, really. So mountain biking is bound to be good there, right? They have the climate, they have the mountains, they have the landscape, Everything seems to tick the correct boxes. So I reached out to a New Zealand mountain biker magazine uh, and just wanted to ask them if they were keen to come on the show, tell us a little bit about their magazine, about New Zealand, about the scene there, the mountain biking community, all that kind of stuff. So I reached out and Cam Baker was really cool to come on the show. And and Cam has been part of the, the magazine there for a number of years. And we chatted to him about the New Zealand bike scene, how it has grown over the last number of years. It's seeing the opening of new trails. It's getting better infrastructure. And how the New Zealand Mountain Biker magazine is playing a large part in making this happen. And because the magazine was built really around the community. Uh, it has practical and informative features. It's spreading the stoke and bringing the MTB communities together there. So it was great to get Cam on the show, fill us in on why we all should visit New Zealand. And for sure, I know any of my friends that go there, they all want to live there. They don't want to come home, you know what I mean? So it's it's one of those environments that just seems to tick a lot of boxes. So it was great to get Cam on the show to fill us in on the New Zealand Mountain Biker magazine, what those guys have got going on, how they've been coping with things over COVID, all that good stuff. And obviously, we chat to him in depth about the scene there, what the trails are like, where you can go, and uh, how the scene has been growing over the last number of years. Cam also fills us in on how you can get a free copy of the New Zealand Mountain Biker magazine. Now, over the COVID thing, they've been doing this. They've been giving away a digital free copy. So you will get that information in the show notes or just simply listen to the show and Cam will direct you in the right direction to get your free copy. And I have read it. It's well, well worth it, guys. So get on it. So without further ado, let's welcome Cam to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi Cam, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things in New Zealand, sir? Yeah, not too bad, thanks Gareth, considering uh, the strange circumstances the world are in at the moment. Yeah man, it's a weird one, eh? isn't it? You know, and we all talk about it, it's like the weather for us Irish boys, we always talk about it. It, it comes up now, COVID comes up before the weather. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing, it uh, doesn't matter where you are in the world at the moment, it's our front and centre for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's scary times, and um, I'm sure you guys now you have a, a mountain bike magazine called New Zealand Mountain Biker, um, obviously based in New Zealand. Have you seen it? The COVID thing change the magazine much? Has it affected you guys much? I think the biggest, uh, the 
been sort of good and bad in a sense. Uh, we've had we had a whole lot of plans to start like improving our website and pushing more digital content. So it's been great from that point of view, uh, having a lot of time to knuckle down and start you know putting websites together and more content out there online. But then the the trickier side for us as far as funding goes, uh, we're funded mostly by local distributors. Mm-hmm. And so most of the retail chains here have like shut down and been shut for the past sort of five weeks, five, six weeks. Okay. Uh, so no one come for our advertisers means they don't have any money to pay for ads in our magazine. So a little bit tricky there, but uh, we're starting to come out of it now. So fingers crossed we'll start to have a more sort of solid uh, outlook on things in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure it's difficult. Well, it's difficult for everybody, you know, that's the problem. For sure, I think it's uh, for most people just never having faced something like this. It's uh, you know you can only take it day by day. Yeah, very true, very true. Now everything I've been reading in the news and stuff, and I haven't been reading much over the last number of days because you get so much conflicting freaking news <laughs> about this COVID thing. But you guys in New Zealand are doing very well. How's it going there with you? Yeah, uh, really well. I think we've only had. 10 to 15 deaths uh, related to COVID and we've had no new cases for the past two or three days now. Um, so we've been, and then over the whole, uh, we've been on lockdown now since late March, about six weeks, but we've been allowed outside to exercise and we've been allowed to mountain bike for the past two weeks now. Mm-hmm. So it's slowly getting back to where things were beforehand, but I think we're still a long way off. Yeah, for sure, because the last thing I read about, you said you weren't going to open borders for quite a while to tourists. So, yeah, there's talks of uh, opening with Australia as soon as it's deemed safe. Mm-hmm. But I think internationally we'll probably be shut up for uh, the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have you been able to get out in the bike? Has your friends been able to get out in the bike? Are you still keeping fit and not going crazy, been stuck inside? I've been pretty lucky. There's a... Uh, there's a few like uh, illegal trails that are not too gnarly, so I didn't feel too bad about riding those. And a concrete pump track all within about 3Ks from my house, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty good considering I live in the middle of Auckland. So I've been able to get out riding, but it's been sort of uh, down to where you live. I've got friends who live in Auckland that don't have anything close, so they haven't been able to do much but pit around the block. Yeah. And yeah. then our friends in the South Island, Queenstown and Christchurch and that kind of thing who have trail centres you know, right outside the door, so they've been able to ride the whole time. Yeah, and probably get it quite empty as well. Yeah, it's been uh, deserted, especially down south uh, with all the tourists and, you know, people who move over for the summer mm-hmm. to ride Queenstown and Christchurch and Nelson are uh, all flying back home for the quarantine period. So I think it's been, uh, yeah, fairly free trails down south. Aye, cool, man, cool. Well, uh, let's chat a little bit because any of my friends that have ever visited New Zealand just want to stay there. What do you guys have there? I think whenever I talk to people about the riding in New Zealand, I think the great thing about about it here is the country is so small and easy to get around, but you've got such a vast sort of contrast of riding. So you've got, like, you know, down south, we've got Rude Rock, probably one of the more famous trails in the world, and a real rocky, alpine, vast, wide-open landscape. Uh, but then you come up to the North Island and you've got a lot of native forest and forestry forests that's uh, all like, yes, densely packed and rooty and techy. Mm-hmm. So I think, and it's, you know, a couple of hundred bucks, $200 or so to fly from Auckland to Queenstown for the weekend. And so it's easy to get around um, and just such a wide, wide variety of riding here. 
Mm-hmm. I think just the layback sort of keeps keeps it super easy to get stoked on it. I it just seems amazing. It seems amazing for so many things. Just the roads there for even motorbikes, kind of you know, and surfing obviously, and and snowboarding and all that kind of stuff. You seem to have everything there in quite a small package, so it is very appealing. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. If you want to be able to do a bit of everything, you know, snow, surf, uh, hunt, fish, and ride bikes, it's, uh, yeah, plenty of good places around the country you can set up and have all of that within an hour. Yeah, man, that sounds amazing. What's the scene like there as far as the mountain biking thing goes? Has it been growing over the years? How have you seen it change? Yeah, it's always been pretty big, but I'd say sort of, Oh, probably since 2012 it's really started to take off i think once you know you started to be able to get those like mid-spec bikes that perform really well sort of you know 2013 2014 mm-hmm. um the sports become a, a lot more accessible and um, the infrastructure is in place in a lot of places around the country now to really support beginner riders i think it's just yeah on the up you look mm-hmm. at the number of kiwis coming through and racing world cups and getting results yeah, so to speak, streams of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, have you seen as far as facilities go and things like that? Is that getting bigger? Is there been more trails being built just to accommodate the amount of riders? Yeah, I think it's a mix of more trails being built and a mix of more infrastructure being in place. Um, like, you go back sort of five or six years ago, and you couldn't really ride. Well, you couldn't ride lift, um, like you know, lift access trails unless you went to Queenstown. But now I've got Lift Park in Christchurch and one up here in the North Island in Rotorua, um, and a few more shuttle parks uh, starting to open up as well. You know, where it's dedicated shuttles, you pile your bike on the trailer, jump in the bus. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go back sort of five, six years, and we didn't really have any of that. Yeah, wow. So I think, it, yeah, from a commercial point of view, it's just a few more businesses starting to, you know, put their time and money into growing the scene which is really cool to see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and, and what about the bike stores stuff like that how's that whole retail side of it going is that doing quite well is that quite healthy yeah i guess uh, one of the big benefits we have uh from a local bike shop point of view is we're so far away from uh you know europe and the states that places like you know jensen usa and chain reaction and wiggle, wiggle aren't quite as appealing uh to the mm. local buyer so there are a couple of big chains here, but by and large, the local bike shops are where most people do their shopping. Yeah, that's cool. That's nice to see that, to be honest, you know. Yeah, really nice to see that. And it's, you know, I think it builds a bit of culture than people buying online or, you know, buying from our big stores. Yeah. Well, it builds that. What I like about it is it builds community. You know what I mean? It, it builds relationships. For sure. And, uh, and then... The, the smaller local bike stores hopefully can put something back as well. You know, they can help maintain trails, their local trails, or they can help build new trails or something like that. They can give back a little bit. Do you see much of that going on? Yeah, I think it's um over the past few years, that side of things has really started to take off. Um, there's a couple of shops. And, and then I think, like, especially in places like Nelson and Road Road, you've got bike shops that do coaching as well and shuttle days and take people on, like, multi-day ride camps. Um, so it's becoming, you know, the local bike shops are starting to make a bit of money now off local tourism as well, which helps them stay afloat, employ more people, keep people in the scene. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, just bring more money to the areas. Yeah, it's cool, man. And like, what's your tree? Do you have free trail centers as such, or do you have to pay in? How does that all work? By and large, most of the riding here is free. Um, so there's a bike park out in Auckland, up here in Auckland, uh, a shuttle park that you can only ride on the shuttle, so you pay to ride there. But you look at somewhere like Rotorua, uh, where you've got the shuttles in the Redwood Forest, and you can either pay to take the shuttle or you can pedal up the hill for free. Same with Queenstown, you can take the lift up or you can pedal up the fire road mm-hmm. uh, for free, albeit you only get a couple of laps in because it's a pretty gnarly climb. Yeah, uh, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> you're more likely to pay. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, for the most part, if you're keen to put the effort in, uh, you can do a lot of riding here for free, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. And are the majority of the parks, are they like kind of locally council owned or is there private ones as well? How does that all kind of work? Uh, a lot of the big trail centers are forestry owned. So there's a few council owned uh, trail centers out and about, but for the most part, they're all owned by forestry companies. Okay. Um, and it's just good for us because they're super keen to have mountain bikers out making trails on their blocks when they're not using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. It's a win-win. For sure. I think, you know, having people coming through the land uh, when it's not doing much and giving the forestry uh, a chance to put money back into the community and pay for tools and whatever to help maintain trails, it's a good look for them and it's good for us as well. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure for sure now i want to this is a totally side topic probably because i want to ask the remarkables resort which is mainly ski mount or uh snowboarding i think i seen it in that set that's all the movie with travis rice and it blew my mind is summer like that open to mountain bikes in the summer yeah so remarkables uh there's a bit of riding up remarkables but it's uh there's no sort of trail center there per se. Okay. So if you want to ride it, you either have to pedal yourself up the ski road or uh, when I used to live down in Queenstown, we'd just get a bunch of us together and a pile in the van and run shuttles mm-hmm. for an wow. afternoon. And same with like Coronet Peak where you've got Rude Rock and, uh, you know, Skipper's Canyon and some of those trails, much mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Do you see many of the ski resorts kind of adapting to the summer thing and, and looking at the mountain bike scene for, for summer opening? Yeah, it's uh, down in the South Island. There's two big ski resorts, Kadrona and Coronet Peak. Uh, Coronet do a little bit with the chairlift, but Kadrona, uh, which is over near Wanaka, have really started embracing mountain biking over the past like, four or five years. So they've got a full-time crew out there over the summer. They open up all the chairlifts. And you can just jump on the lift and uh, ride laps all day. And then once the summer season's done, they uh, yeah break out of the snow machinery and get ready for the ski season. That just sounds heavenly. That's amazing, though. Eh? Oh, it's stunning down there. I was uh, lucky enough to spend a week down there. Uh, <laughs> about I got back about three days before we went into lockdown, actually. Uh-huh. Class, and, man, uh, yeah. Ourselves. Aye, so good, so good. It, it must be nice to be able to do something like that in the summer and then, you know, in the winter you can break it up a little with snowboarding or skiing or whatever. And, yeah, it just sounds so appealing to me, to be honest. Yeah, the South Island uh, lifestyle is pretty tough to beat. Mm, yeah, for sure, man. All right, now let's chat a little bit about your uh, mountain bike 
magazine then. Um, I've known about you for quite a while on socials and stuff, and I've been following you. Um, now, the magazine is written by mountain bikers for mountain bikers, effectively, um, and you're based out of Auckland there. How long has the magazine been going for? The magazine's been around. We actually, like, it's passed through a few publishers over its time, but we had this question about a, a, month, about a month ago, and we worked out it's been about around since about 2003. Really? So we're at 98 issues deep now, which is crazy to think about. Wow, wow, that is cool, man. That is cool. Now, Cam, you're, have you been there from the start? Have you been there from the beginning? No, nah, I've only been on board for... For about two years now, I came on uh, about this time in 2018. Okay, all right, cool. And you're the creative director, uh, production, seals, that kind of thing. Yeah, so sort of creative director, lead the charge with the magazine, and then uh, deal with most of our advertisers and uh, try find you know contributors and pitch new clients and that kind of thing for the magazine, which uh, keeps things pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. Like when the magazine started, whose idea was it? Or why do you think the magazine had to be started? Was it a, a, was the local guys asking for it? Was it just was it was there anything else out there at the time? What's the kind of history behind it there? Yeah, there's one other big uh, mountain biking magazine produced here, uh, Spoke Magazine, who came about in 2001, I believe, a couple of years before we did, and it was basically just born out of a. There's a guy, I believe his name was Bruce. And um, born out of his garage, he just wanted to, you know, write about bikes, take photos of bikes and get his hands on uh, all the latest and greatest. So uh, figured the magazine would be a good route to go about that, I guess, you know, pre-internet days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's crazy how that whole industry's changed with the internet and stuff. Um, but, you know, you're still, it's crazy, like you still do paperback, right? Yeah, prints, uh, prints for sure sort of what our business is built upon and i think uh we're trying to utilize the web more just so we can engage with our readers and our audience more give them something you know on those periods where we have when we're not putting out magazines but prints for sure where we want to stay and what we want to continue to produce yeah like i don't know about you but i think print is really nice and I had the misspent summers guys on the podcast to do the hurley burley and the world stage mags stuff like that yeah and you know we were chatting about the print thing and i i think it's so cool to be able to throw something like that in your car you know when you're waiting and your mates showing up at the car park before you go to for a ride it's something cool to have there that you can flick through and and whatever the the online thing has never appealed to me for reading do you find your audience is something similar to that yeah i think the feedback we get a lot is the rad thing about a magazine versus, you know, reading something called Pink Bike or any other website, is when you've got the magazine in your hands, it takes both your hands, it's all you can hold on to. So it's not like Pink Bike where you've got, you know, another Facebook tab and you see you've got a message from one of your buddies or you've got your emails open as well um, or your phone in your hand. Once you've got the mag out, it sort of, you know, consumes you and gives you that sort of time away from uh, the real world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool, man. And, you know, I'm sure you must get a bit a bit of a high when you arrive up to a trail center or whatever and you see somebody sitting in the car park reading your magazine that must be pretty cool huh for sure even walking into like a bike shop and you see they've got it on the counter or even like walking past in the supermarket you know you're walking mm-hmm. around the supermarket and see nz mountain bike around the shelf and you sort of pinch yourself you know, and it's like 
yes yeah, super cool to be, see the work you do um like on a self broadcast for the world to see yeah yeah for sure and your magazine comes out by monthly uh quarterly oh quarterly, quarterly. all right quarterly mid last year all right okay what was the reason behind that uh, so the publishing company that I work for that owns Inside Mountain Bike, we've got another magazine as well, uh, Inside Cycling Journal, sort of a drop bar, drop bar writing mag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we were printing bi-monthly, we were on print every single month. So I'd print Inside Mountain Bike and then the next month, Inside Cycling Journal. And uh, as we're going on more trips and that kind of thing, it just got way too much work um, trying to bounce between the two constantly. So cut down to quarterly, bumped the page count up, and just gives a lot more time <clears throat> in between printing to go out and execute content trips and put a bit more effort into writing more in-depth and meaningful content. Yeah, I think it almost works better, to be honest. You know, the mags are nicer. They just seem to be – there seems to be more in there. The, the articles and the imagery and everything seems to be better. Do you find that when it's a quarterly thing? Yeah, I think that um, one of the things we've noticed, just looking back on what we were doing bi-monthly, is now that we're quarterly, we have uh, more stories, and the stories are longer, higher page count than what they were before as well. So it just gives us the ability to make uh, write more in-depth content and reviews, um, which you know, means we can do more to tell the story, means there's more for our consumers to read, and just sort of gives that, yeah, I think brings the quality up to another level again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can see that. I definitely see that. Um, I had cranked. I don't know if you've heard of cranked magazine. Yeah. Had, yeah. They were on the show back in the day and um, I can't remember how they do it. If it's quarterly or I think it's maybe quarterly. Quarterly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a beautiful magazine, man. You know, it's yeah, stunning mag. It's something and I chatted to this about the misspent summer guys as well, and GM's there. It's something like you would keep. It's not like a magazine you buy every week where you read it you read it in a couple of freaking hours and then you throw it away or it gets recycled or whatever. The bigger magazines, you seem to keep them. They're coffee book magazines. You go back to them. You look through them again. Do you find that with yours guys are doing that and keeping keeping a hold of them and, and going back to them and stuff? Yeah, we've made some deliberate moves uh, to try to encourage that. So we went away from dating the magazines for one. So now we just release it as, uh, you know, the winter mag, the spring mag, the summer mag, and the autumn mag. Mm-hmm. Um, so And that's just sort of to try, you know, so it's not tied to a specific time frame, you know, uh, June, July of 2020. You can pick it up three years down the line. Your car, this is what they're doing in autumn, autumn two years ago, and flick through it again. And just trying to keep the content uh, fairly timeless as well, so not going super heavy on reviews and that kind of thing, and trying to fill it up more with stories that people want to read, you know, three years mm-hmm. down the line or now. Mm-hmm. And just keeping yeah. them timeless. Yeah, for sure. And what's your, your content like? Because I know you... You do quite a lot of stuff in there. Uh, you do a lot of practical, informative features as well. But do you kind of measure that out? Do you say, okay, we want kind of 10% reviews, we want um, 10% brand stories, we want 30% practical stuff? Do you do something like that, or do you just go with the flow and what's happening at the time? 
it's fairly uh yeah for the most part we go with the flow and um Sort of depends what we've got coming out. We try to do, uh, we do like a build series. We get given a frame and we get given a group set and we get given, you know, forks and a rest shock and wheel sets. And we'll uh, talk about all the components, why we picked each component, piece it together as a bike, and mm. uh, then do a review on how it all works as a system. So we try to have one of uh, one of those every issue or every other issue. And then as far as bike reviews and that kind of thing goes, can be difficult for us because we're so far away from the rest of the world and our population is uh, so small comparatively to get bikes over here. So we don't put too much uh, value on having bike reviews and product reviews every year. So if we get uh, if we get some, we get some, and if we don't, we don't. And there's uh, then the rest of it, we sort of just fill it up with uh, any editorial features that pop up that we uh, like the sounds of or any ideas we have in the office mm-hmm. and go from there. Yeah, and there's plenty happening in New Zealand. You know, you don't run out of content, I take it. For sure, there's always uh, new trails popping up, new trail centres popping up, club getting funding to make more trails, or, you know, a rider going overseas and uh, taking on the world, or a Kiwi going overseas and riding up. We just did a photo essay in our latest issue, 98, uh, of a local woman from down in nelson who flew over to nepal and did a bunch of riding over there so showcasing kiwis riding around the world is uh especially when they're just like you know passing driven trips versus over to race mm-hmm. is that uh, always cool to see as well yeah nepal looks amazing man looks stunning yeah hey, crazy riding <laughs> over there <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i had uh, i had ram a guy from epic shangri-la ventures on from nepal he's born and bred in nepal and uh, right he, he i had him on the show a few weeks back and he's such a cool guy man and he started you know how he got introduced to mountain bikes he's seen tourists this is years ago right he's seen tourists over and mountain bikes are a relatively new thing and so were yeah. so was tourism but he's seen tourists riding mountain bikes down the hill and he was the kid that you always see in the films chasing the mountain bikers Right. And now, <laughs> and now he has his own guiding company over there, employs loads of local guys, and is wanting to pump money into building education and uh, hospital facility. The guy's a legend. But isn't that amazing that he's that young fella you see on the movies chasing mountain bikes down the hill, and he's come, <laughs> he's come to this. It's cool, man. So cool oh, over there. The stories, all of the stories that I've heard of Nepal uh, mountain biking have just been so rad. Stories like that, dude setting small bike shops and just growing them into tourism businesses and guiding and pouring money back into the local community. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's amazing. And I think the people over there, like I've never heard a bad a bad story or a bad review from there. I think the people and the locals over there are just so happy to see to see tourists coming in and spending a bit of money in these small local villages and stuff. And I just, I think it would be, uh, it would be hard to leave that place, man. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one on the list. <laughs> Can you not get out there? Can the magazine not send you out there? Oh, we had, a, we actually had a guy reach out to us last year about putting us over for a trip. So uh, the context there is just making it happen, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And like, what's your daily job look like there like do you do many trips are you behind a, a laptop most of the day talk us through what you kind of do it's uh fairly it's pretty good i've got a lot of flexibility which uh makes life 
super easy. So a lot of the time I head into the office in the morning, blast through some emails, and uh, normally I try to schedule any meetings we have for the morning. And then about lunchtime, I normally pack up and head out for a ride. So I get to ride most weekdays. And then uh, I sort of come back home, normally ride for two and a, like two, two and a half hours, come back home and then plug on for the rest of the afternoon. And normally once I'm home, most of my content, uh, most of the work I do is focused on content. So writing stories, writing reviews, just while I'm like when I'm out of that office environment and don't have, uh, you know, questions coming flying in left, right and center. So mm-hmm. it's uh, really nice to be able to have that creative, you know, uh, energy in the office to bounce ideas around. And then sort of ride to get out of that mindset and then come home and be able to hunker down without the distractions, uh, write some stories and write some reviews and have that freedom there. Yeah, sounds sounds nice. Sounds nice to be out in the bike every day. A super nice lifestyle, especially being able to ride when there's none out on the trails. Yeah, cool, man, cool. And as far as the team go there, how many people do you have working at the magazine? We've got a pretty small team. So we've got uh, myself and Liam. So Liam owns a publishing company, and he uh, he's the editor for NZ Cycling Journal, other magazine. And then we've got an office uh, and subscription manager, Helen, who works about 30 hours a week for us, and a designer who plugs in for 20 to 25 hours, depending on what we've got going at the time. Okay. All right, cool. So, so pretty, pretty fluid. Yeah, sort of enough people to keep life easy, but enough people to make sure uh, not so many people that controlling them all becomes a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how about contributors? Do you get people that contribute to the magazine that put in stories and things like that? Yeah, so we've got, um, I guess you'd call them a, like a, a group of core contributors who write regularly for us, whether it be reviews or columns. And then we get a lot of submissions as well, which is really cool because it means we can get stories from readers and stories from people who might not otherwise have the chance to have their story published somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a mix. We try to do roughly 60% of the content in-house uh, per magazine. Uh, and then I have the rest filled up by contributors. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty nice. And and do they get paid for their work, the contributors? Yep, so you get paid on a per image and per word basis. So it's nice for people who go on trips, um, you know, to have their work recognized as not only good enough to be published, but to earn a bit of coin to offset their trip costs. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. And as far as kind of advertising in the magazine and things like that, you're kind of in charge of that. Is that difficult to get? Is that is that difficult to get local stores to advertise in a, in a magazine now yes and no it's um we've got we're really lucky to have a group of good advertisers who are happy to submit ads and that kind of thing year round but being that we're such a small company oh sorry such a small country some of our smaller distributors are you know they have a lull over the winter season and can't afford to take out an ad so it gets a bit mm-hmm. tricky over the winter trying to figure out uh where to bring money in and who's got money? And a lot of the time, you know, we're chasing uh, ads to deadline. But over the summer months, it's uh, pretty crazy, pretty easy, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's difficult, you know. And like with the whole COVID thing happening now, a lot of the marketing and advertising thing has died. People just aren't doing anything. Um, 
It's it's funny, actually. I think locally there's been, you know, less interest because most of our retail networks have shut down. But then on an international uh, perspective, companies that, you know, we're in touch with but wouldn't necessarily spend with us are reaching out and trying to figure out what we can do together so they can, you know, keep a footprint over here. So it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks uh, where that leads to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it'll come back with a bang, to be honest, you know. For um, sure. But, you know, it's funny, you, get, you you hear some people saying that it's changed things forever, the whole consumer thing won't come back as strong. I personally think humans are, we're a species of habit. I think that we will come back in droves. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, everyone's so used to uh, how life has been for the past forever. Once we get that little bit of freedom back, I don't think it'll take too long before it's uh Back to relative normality. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. So how did you get into this thing, Cam? How did you get into the magazine industry and, and all this? So I ended up, um, back when I was fresh out of high school, I decided instead of studying to move to Queenstown. And uh, not long after I'd moved to Queenstown, it might have even been before, I'd applied for a job with um, Liam, who owns the publisher, Back when he was working at... So Liam used to work for the publisher that used to own the magazine mm-hmm. before he took over. So I applied for a job with him. It would have been oh, six, seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up taking this job in Queenstown instead. Uh, worked in bike shops over the summer and then fixed skis and snowboards over the winter. Moved back to Auckland after a few years and uh, worked in bike shops here. And then after a couple... Uh, just out of the blue, Liam sent me an email asking what I was doing for work. And I uh, met up with him the next day, and then the day after that, he offered me a job, and I've been at the magazine since. Wow, cool. So do you mind me, what what age are you now, Cam? I'm 25. Yeah, you're only a young buck, like. So Yeah, super fresh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Um, and, like, were you thinking, out of, I, I take it you were into mountain biking when you were in high school and stuff. Like, were you thinking at that so, stage you wanted a career in the mountain bike industry and in the in the sector? Do you, were you thinking that then? Yeah, I think bikes and uh, bikes and media had sort of been a staple my entire life for things I'd wanted to get into. And um, sort of fresh out of high school, I'd applied for a few uni courses and decided I didn't want to study right out of school and moved away instead. And um, right when I came back, I was looking at going to study uh, either marketing or media to then progress into a role doing that in the mountain biking industry. And uh, just by chance, Liam reached out as I was filling up university applications, and uh, here we are. Yeah, cool, man. And did Liam give you a job that first time you applied? No, so I (laughs) either either didn't get the job or I turned down the offer before it was offered to me. Right, right. yeah, I think it was right as I was in the process of moving to Queenstown. I was like, oh, do I don't want to make magazines or do I want to go ski and snowboard and ride bikes? And uh, Queenstown ended up winning. Yeah, that to me, there's no contest there, really. No, especially fresh out of high school. Having lived in the city my entire life, it uh, wasn't, a, wasn't a tricky call. Yeah, cool, man. Cool. And uh, do you see yourself planning to do this kind of thing for quite a while? Are you quite happy with what you're doing? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I just like riding bikes and talking about bikes and uh, traveling to ride my bike. So when you've got a gig that gives you all of that, 
it's uh yeah not much desire to move on to something else for the time being yeah cool man cool it's it's cool and like what do you love most about the magazine scene like what really inspires you to keep going and keeps you motivated and doing that kind of thing because i'm sure it's quite difficult like i'm sure it is you know you make it sound quite nice and quite relaxed and chilled but i'm sure there's very very stressful times in that whole thing yeah i think it's funny like um you know obviously the the amount of cool stuff you get to do and getting to ride your bike every day and play with the latest and greatest doesn't make it feel like work but it's definitely big hours especially around print um but i think you know it's for one getting to see all the content you've made in your hands in a magazine you know there's a uh, still nothing beats the excitement of the magazines turning up for the office straight off the press and then just the fact that you know it's really uh like versus printing or publishing content online where people can consume it for free when people want to pay to read what you talk about and uh, pay to get your opinions and so that really makes it worthwhile and being able to interact with those people and talk with them and i think just as far as building a community goes versus doing any sort of content online or marketing for a brand um is really cool getting feedback and just yeah everything about it yeah. tricky to explain i think it's uh, not to really work in it that you truly get it yeah like yeah i can understand i know for me I hate doing the show notes on the on the podcast, so I know for me that's not a job for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I can certainly see the uh, the appeal of it, and you know, I know there's a lot of people are interested in it. Do you get some of your friends kind of nudging you and saying, "Cam, is there any jobs going? You know, how can I get your lifestyle?" Kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of my friends either wanting jobs or not really understanding <laughs> what I do for a job. <laughs> which is uh yeah you get sort of the contrast there which i guess is makes sense because it's a pretty mysterious industry not many people have much exposure to it yeah yeah i think yeah it's cool you know and again i'm kind of getting a little bit insight into it because when i was chatting to james from miss Penn summers we weren't quite in into depth because he used to work at dirt magazine as well right and uh he now owns the misspent summers thing and went quite into detail but there is so much man that goes into making a magazine it would blow your mind yeah i think that's the one thing people don't understand and even just little things like uh, when you're laying out photos where the rider's going to fall in the gutter or where the trail's going to fall in the gutter it's uh, a whole lot to take into account and it's just a matter i think it's time on the tools more than anything there's a uh, i don't think you know go to university and take whatever course you like i don't think it's until you get on the tools that you start to really pick up on things like that yeah i can understand that there's so much into it it's it's mind-blowing and you know chatting through it with james and yourself and some of the other guys i've spoke to it just seems that you're juggling so many balls all the time you know to to produce this magazine do you ever get overwhelmed with it or do you do you cope all right i think i i cope all right it's sort of taken in my stride and i think it's um, one of those things once you realize there's always going to be things popping up last minute you're always going to be working from weird locations like the last magazine i pushed to print from the lobby of our hotel for crankworks so once you wrap your head around the fact that you'll be working in weird places and uh working weird hours sometimes and getting stuff thrown on your plate last minute it's uh it becomes all right, but it's if you sort of you know want a super structured role and you want to have X Y Z by set t- day and time, it makes it pretty difficult. Yeah, 
Like, I'm sure there's times when you're at location and you're there with a few mates or something and, you know, they're going out to the bar and you're like, oh, I have to stay in and write an article. Yeah, it's, uh, you get the balance <laughs> down pretty well, I think. Cause, yeah, you don't want to be missing out on the bar, especially if it's on the company card. <laughs> and, uh, then at the same time, you know, if you're away on a content trip writing a story, you want to be able to write about the whole time. Um, you know, what you did for dinner, what you did for drinks at night, you know, any other little snippets that pop out that ethical aspect for the story. So I normally just have a diary with me and jot down notes over the course of the trip and uh, get back from the trip and then blast out and sort of, you know, hide myself away for two or three days and just get writing. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, all right, all right. I see that. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. That's a good way. Now, you, you obviously do interviews there for the magazine yourself. Yeah. Who's been your favorite, or what's been your favorite interview? Oh, I think that Wanaka trip, actually the trip I went to to Wanaka um, right before we went into lockdown, I took Casey Brown with me. And so we spent, yeah, four or five days down in Wanaka just doing a bunch of writing, a bunch of tourism. And we had a, a photographer and a videographer to chase chase us around. And I think just getting to know Casey over that time, you know, not necessarily a single interview, but getting to uh, learn her whole story and about what she's been doing and what she's going to do, especially from a point, you know, where you're living together for four or five days and you're with one another the entire time uh, mm. was super cool. Yeah. And she seems to be pretty super cool herself. You know, she doesn't take uh, stuff too serious. Super rad and super down to earth and uh, just keen for anything. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. And what, what was that photo shoot like? Were you just riding together or, you know, what, what did that all entail? Yeah. So I was for a tourism project. Um, so basically they just wanted us to come down and, uh, tell a story really. So they want us to make a video, take some photos, do a print story. And, um, they're super keen on us having a pro rider or like, you know, a rider with a bit of a profile, and Casey happened to be in town for uh, Crankworks and was able to move her flights back and so roped her in. And basically we just went and rode and um, yeah, had a photographer follow us around and didn't do too many forced shots. We tried to keep it super natural and like it was on, you know, a trip you do for fun versus a stage, super pins, uh, super pinned kind of trip. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our, our target audience was sort of, you know, those level, those grade two, three, four riders just uh, tried to keep it super vibey and super fun and not writing anything too gnarly in the video or the photos mm-hmm. yeah just and, and who, real, like, vibe. yeah yeah cool and that would suit casey i suppose as well you know sorry that would suit casey as well it would suit her style oh, and everything. yeah i think she's a perfect fit for it especially coming like fresh off crank work you know you don't want to do crank works and then spend a day oh sorry spend a week writing super gnarly stuff down in the south island he took a bit a pretty big crash at crank works and did a bit of damage to her hip as well so i think she was uh quietly stoked that it was a pretty cruisy trip yeah cool cool and was it the magazine that sorted the photographers and the filmographer and stuff like that or how did that work were you just kind of put in charge of everything there yeah, so I worked with uh, Wanaka Tourism, um, pitched an idea to them, and they came back and were keen to go ahead with it. And so from there, I just worked with them on a brief and a crew. And we've got a pretty good um, pretty good pool of local vid- videographers and photographers that we use. So I just reached out to a couple who I thought might be free and available to get down there and uh, put a crew together, gave them all a brief as well. 
and then uh, flew down to the South Island and made it happen. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Cool. I'm sure you you look forward to stuff like that. I know it's work at the end of the day, but you're bound to look forward to that kind of thing. Oh, for sure. That's sort of what makes a job, you know, so rad is getting to go on trips like that. And uh, from one point of view, being able to showcase some of the cool riding here, but then from an entirely selfish point of view, being paid to go on what's, what feels like a riding holiday at the time. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's cool. It's cool for sure. Now, on the other side of things, have you ever had an article or a story or anything or an interview that's turned into a bit of a nightmare? No, we've been pretty lucky, actually, and we've had a pretty good run. Um, I don't think there's been anything in my time at the MAG. Uh, we obviously, you know, you get feedback now and then on articles that, or reviews where people disagree with what you say or think you're a little harsh or think you're a little bit too light, but it's that, you know, balancing act of trying to make sure everyone's happy with the content that comes out. Mm-hmm. But nothing big, which has uh, been, been really good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know one of the main aspects behind your magazine is to build a community and and everything else there. Do you feel the magazine does that? Do you think it builds a stronger mountain bike community in New Zealand? For sure, and it's uh was and hopefully will continue to be one of our big goals for this year. So I had a few um big summer projects lined up to sort of add to that. So um like getting a vehicle and then doing like a tour across the country with a trailer. And putting on shuttles at a bunch of the local bike parks and all that kind of thing. So I think, um, yeah, just sort of trying to continue to build that strong following and be seen more in the community, you know, as opposed to just people seeing us online or in print, being seen doing stuff at bike parks and bike shops and uh, actually engaging with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important nowadays, man, to build that community and to be actually on the ground. For sure, especially I think in the world of like, you know, YouTube and Instagram where you can see you feel like you're having that face to face connection with someone, uh, versus a print magazine where you're reading words. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um yeah, just trying to build that, you know, take away some of that mystery behind the magazine, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. Have you anything personally on your bucket list that you'd like to get in the magazine? Anything you'd like to cover for the magazine? I think one of the ones that's been super interesting that I'd really like to do is um like a factory tour. Um, we we had a few, we sort of spitballed a few ideas about going over to Taiwan and um, trying to get in either like a Santa Cruz factory. We've got a few contacts that are there and at Juliana, and trying to show the process of a bike being made, you know, right from a carbon fiber sheet and then uh, following that build process all the way through to paint. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is one of the big ones, and obviously just doing a bit of travel and uh, trying to spend the summer over in Europe or uh, North America once mm. I'm allowed to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. And like the magazine is distributed to over 800 outlets. Is that all within New Zealand? All within New Zealand, yeah. So we're in um, a lot of local bookstores, a lot of supermarkets. Um, we have a really good retail network, and we've started to push uh, a lot harder to get into bike shops as well. So there's not many places that you, you'll you go in New Zealand without being able to find us, which is great for us. Wow, cool, cool. And have you seen sales, seal numbers grow over the last number of years? Has, has that kind of went with the trend of the, the mountain bike scene? 
Yeah, we've been on steady growth uh, for the entire time I've been on board, which is really nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, that was that's why Liam reached out and got you, eh? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool, man, cool. So, do you know where your main readership base is? Is it all new, mostly New Zealand, Australia, Tasmania, maybe? Do you know those numbers? Yeah. Mostly New Zealand. We uh, do the best in Auckland, I guess, based purely of population in Christchurch. Uh, we've got a few subscribers in Australia, and I think if we can still manage to make it happen this year, we're aiming to grow our retail channels over there and get to a few bike shops and retailers. And once we've sort of mastered Australia, moving out and trying to get into North America and Europe, uh, mm-hmm. just purely because you know it's gotten to the point where our market's so small here, we figure we've probably reached about the most number of people we're going to reach. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You kind of get into, you can only do what you can do. There's a saturation point there. For sure. So I think, uh, yeah, being able to branch out, especially into Tassie, and then Aye. sort of growth in Australia and uh, Northern Hemisphere is, yeah, pretty high on the priority list. Yeah, like I know from being in, in Europe, this side of the world, I know the Tasmania thing with Blue Derby and stuff has really kind of, the whole interest in that has really went pretty high, um, just with the stories behind that and stuff. So I suppose if you tap into the Tassie market there, uh, you should be able to get into Europe as well. If people are thinking of coming out your direction, you know, they need to stop in New Zealand. Like, well, sorry, and we got... um. We Pink Bike shared our free magazine offer the other day, and ever since that's gone out, we've just been hit up by dudes all over the world uh, wanting to pick up subscriptions. So I think now more than ever, we've got a bit of momentum there. It's yeah. uh, time to start trying to put that into action. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, it's one of those things, I suppose, and you'll know this better than me, but if you have articles from Europe in your New Zealand bag, do you think that would attract people to read it from europe or how does that work or would would attract more readers from new zealand because they don't know about europe i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say there you know do you know what (laughs) i mean yeah no i think it's um yeah i think up until i'd come on board we traditionally published mostly new zealand articles unless it was like a press camp overseas we got flown out to but i'm pretty open to publishing uh, international articles especially if they're written by a kiwi so I think it's um, I think the sort of landscape goal we want to go for going forwards is making it sort of be as opposed to being known as an entirely New Zealand-based magazine as being you know looked at as a mountain biking magazine uh, based out of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. It would be cool if you would have somebody from New Zealand writing the articles for Europe and and North America and stuff. That would be rad, man. Yeah, I think it's um, I think yeah. Now more than ever, I want to share a lot of the international content and just have it as a magazine made by Kiwis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Is there anything different planned for your future issues? I know you 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 did mention about getting out to events and stuff. Is that something you intend to keep up with or try and do once the whole COVID thing passes and, and things get back to normal? Yeah, for sure. I think um, one of our big marketing strategies 
and just I think to give back to the community that are you know pay our bills is to be involved a lot more at events and on the ground as opposed to just sending up magazines as prizes are actually showing up you know with a tent and with a truck and being able to talk Mm -hmm. I just talk bikes yeah and it's cool man you know you might get some articles out of that kind of thing as well you know yeah for sure just being like um on the ground every time I go to a mountain bike event I come away with at least you know one story I never thought I would have I never would have come across otherwise Mm -hmm. so I think it's just being out there and you know having even more of an opportunity to come across those stories and people that you wouldn't meet otherwise or hear about otherwise Mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure now let's get people sort of out with this free issue how's that available how do they go about grabbing that cam so we've got a link on our website it doesn't matter what page you you navigate to it's a banner that pops down from the top of the website and uh, all you do is hit the link it'll bring you through to a uh, sign up form you just punch in your email address hit submit and uh, our latest issue will make its way to your inbox as a PDF you can download yeah that's cool man and was that a COVID thing idea or what was the thinking behind that yeah I think um, we went uh, we went on sale about two weeks before COVID hit um, and everyone started going on lockdown and uh, there's no way we could buy our magazines because everyone over here had sat inside so figured, you know, by the time we come out of lockdown, there's probably not going to be a ton of people wanting to buy magazines and we'll be uh, off the shelves pretty quickly. So I figured I'd rather have the magazine seen by whoever wants to read it, give people something to do that's a bit different um, and just get some eyeballs in front of it, especially because yeah, it's hard to try sell it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to be... It's bound to be difficult, and the, the whole COVID thing is just—it just has affected so everybody, really, everybody, every industry, oh, everything. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, so I hope things get back to normal quite quickly. And uh, not sure if we're going to have a 2020 mountain bike season, but I know the guys back home and stuff are still planning to postpone races to later in the season, maybe go a bit later than they normally would. Um, so it's been difficult times, man. But I think. The mountain bike industry is strong enough to survive it for sure, and uh, you guys are seeing growth. I think everywhere's seeing growth in it, so it's pretty crazy. I think it's one of those things, you know. Uh, once you've got a bike and you've got all the kit, it's a pretty low uh, point of entry. You know, you don't have to. Most people don't have to pay to go ride. So I think uh, the moment there's um, the moment we're allowed to, people will be super keen to get back out on their bikes and riding trails and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. yeah as far as brands and stuff go in new zealand have you got any kind of standout brands that you would say would be the most popular as far as bikes and things go i think the all of the big players here are probably more or less the same as um as what we get overseas so you see a lot of specialized a lot of giant a lot of santa cruz a lot of yeti um a lot of trek as well i think from a from a um like a global sales point of view for a lot of companies we're pretty up there as in terms of uh the number of bikes sold considering mm-hmm. our population so everything's pretty uh readily available here so we got yeah just as much choice for the most part as anywhere else in the world which is really cool mm-hmm. yeah do you have any local bike make, uh, makers there uh you've got zeroed out of rotorua so you might have seen the tiny fire it's um all their, their whole range of bikes are all gearbox driven uh, with an internal hub bolted into the frame. Wow. And that'd probably be that'd probably be uh, the biggest 
Uh, you've got a few guys who make frames to order, like, you know, out of their garage or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But no big local brands that are, you know, pumping out bikes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we're seeing a bit of uh, the steel thing coming back in the UK and things like that. There's quite a lot of small, well, I want to say small, they're getting bigger every day. Um, but manufacturers <laughs> of steel frames and things like that and hard tails and everything else. It's it's coming back. Are you seeing that kind of thing in New Zealand as well? Yeah, well, we've got, um, <clears throat> I think that the steel hardtail thing didn't really die here. I think it's always been like a pretty niche, but super strong part of the mountain biking community. Um, every year there's like a single speed nationals where a bunch of dudes just go out and thrash themselves around a forest on our steel hardtails. And so it's, um, but there have definitely been more and more people popping up over the past couple of years, uh, making frames, making steel frames. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, man. It's interesting. How about the gravel thing? The gravel bike thing is that big with you guys? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 gaining traction for sure. Um, the tricky part with the road market here is a bunch of them are so, um, a bunch of them are so sort of stuck in their ways. You know, only want to ride twenty five C tires and only want to go ride you know one hundred and twenty K loops in the weekend. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the mountain bikers here have access to trails so close to home that they don't need a gravel bike to go to get that fix. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely, uh, from like an industry point of view, everyone I know in the industry is getting pretty into gravel now. Yeah. Yeah, the gravel thing seems to be, it seems to be the next thing, you know. Um, it almost seems to be taken away from the e-bike side of things, you know, this gravel yeah, bike thing. Not- no, that's the new... Uh, but it's crazy, man, how the industry goes. I'm sure you see it all the time being involved with the magazine and having contacts that you have and stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know how people that aren't in the industry keep up because it seems like every other week there's a new standard or a new, you know, e-bikes are coming or gravel's a new thing or there's new forks and new shocks and, um, yeah, time to keep up with. But when you get paid to do it, it's uh, pretty rad. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. And, like, the one thing that blew me away, a multi here. I'm working in a bike store and honestly we seen the new range of Canon deals the 2021 range about two months ago how crazy is that oh it's yeah bikes coming out it feels like earlier and earlier every year it's nuts man it's nuts oh, yeah you wonder how they turn them out so quick it's crazy like the amount of frames coming out of Taiwan and stuff just must be unbelievable you know it's crazy dude Oh, yeah, you can only imagine. um, I guess pretty lucky in a sense. I don't think COVID's hit Taiwan massively. Mm. But you couldn't even imagine the number of frames going out of there and getting shipped off around the world. (laughs) It's nuts. (laughs) Crazy. Well, here, listen, how can people best find your magazine, get in contact, follow what you guys are up to and stuff like that? Best way to keep up with us is probably Instagram. Uh, you can find us at NZ Mountain Biker Magazine. Probably one of the longest Instagram handles out there. But uh, <laughs> tells you all you need to know. Um, and from there, you can find our website. And on our website, we've got contact um, information so you can reach out or you can send us a message on Instagram. I'm normally pretty active on there as well. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, listen, Cam, it's been awesome to get you on the show, man. Thanks very much for coming on. And, uh, I love that part of the world where you're at. It appeals to me so much. And uh, it's great to get you on, hear a wee bit more about your industry, what's happening there, about your scene and stuff. So I hope things go well for 2020 for you. 
and everything kicks in and the magazine goes more globally. I'm definitely going to sign up for that free one and keep me ear to the ground there, see what you boys are at, because I need to come out and visit you guys at some stage. For sure, you got to make uh, make the trip down and give us a yellow in your hair and we'll take you out and say uh, what I've got to offer. Amazing. You know, and I'm going to be like my mates. I'll probably not want to come home either. Yeah, I think uh, you talk to most of the people who have moved here from overseas. It's the same story. Came out for a two-week holiday and couldn't leave. Ah, it's crazy, man. You don't need a podcast section on your magazine, do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually something we've been talking about a little bit with the COVID situation. <laughs> yeah, cool, man, cool. Well, listen, Cam, thanks so much, man. Have a great day there. Uh, well, it's the evening with you. It's morning with me, evening, evening. with you. Yeah. Uh, so thanks so much for spending the time I know you're a busy man and, and everything else and, and good luck for the near future alright no problem uh, thanks for having us it's been great to chat that's a wrap for episode 140 folks I hope you really enjoyed that show and it was great to hear what's going on in New Zealand that place is just a mecca for everything out there if you like adventure you like scaring yourself I think that's the place to go and certainly put it on your bucket list and get out there Um, so Cam thanks so much for coming on the show buddy I really enjoyed our chat I hope things are going well for you uh, since we last chatted there and the magazine is going from strength to strength and I downloaded your free one which was very cool indeed man and uh, really nice read really really nice stuff in there so I hope uh, it's very successful for you and I can't see why it wouldn't be so good luck for the rest of 2020 Folks, if you want to know more about the New Zealand scene and more about the New Zealand Mountain Biker magazine, just simply go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com. You'll find Cam's episode there at 140. And just scroll down, you'll see the links and stuff there to what the magazine has got going on and other information we chat about on the show. Now, if you like the show and you're enjoying listening, please support the show by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, you can also find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean and all other good podcast platforms out there. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show from there. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show. You'll also find the show notes there with a little bit more information about each guest, all their links and all that good stuff if you want to get in contact or want to follow them on socials, etc. Now, you can also get involved with ourselves on social media at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. Please take screenshots and help share the show. The show grows organically. We don't rely on advertising or anything like that. So please share the show with friends. Let them know it's out there. And let's keep the stoke going and get more people off the sofa and on the saddles. And hopefully we're able to do a lot more of that very, very soon. So thanks so much for tuning in this week, folks. I do appreciate you being involved with the podcast. And once again, until next week, stay safe, but stay MTV stoked.